Welcome to the Primal Foundations Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Pascola. We will dive into what I believe are the four central foundations you need for a healthy lifestyle. Strength, nutrition, movement, and recovery. Get ready to unlock your path to optimal health and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Primal Foundation Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Pascola. Today we have a special guest, Brett Jones, based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's a certified athletic trainer, strength and conditioning specialist, as well as the Strong First Director of Education. He has the ability to insert a movie quote in any conversation or setting. Brett, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Tony, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's great to have the opportunity, and we'll see if we can fit any movie quotes in. I'm sure we'll get a couple in. <laughs> um to give some background on how I actually met you, not this past time at the Dome in Rosemount, Chicago, but the year prior, I got, got my SFG1, and uh, I think it was Sean or somebody brought you over and because you were doing maybe body weight or something else on the side, maybe SFG2. Yeah, it was SFG2, so I was there kind of a day early sort of thing, just kind of milling about, trying to cause mm-hmm. as much trouble as possible. <laughs> and you, they just brought you over. They were Somebody was like needed help with a swing, and within like five minutes of watching you, I was like, I'm using all of those things and those movie quotes. That was fantastic. I, <laughs> like within five minutes, I learned, like there's the one thing you did where you, you place your hand, and you're like laser beam to the hand. I, I use that to this day, and it works like a charm. So- Awesome. Um, that was that was great. That was my first interaction with you. Uh, so just taking a step back and just want to talk about to start, you know, so the listeners have an idea of kind of your background, you know, mm-hmm. whether it would be athletics or any type of strength training. And then kind of how did you find your way to this family of strong first? Awesome. Uh, short story kept long, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is a movie quote, by the way. <laughs> uh, if you've seen Nobody with uh, Bob Odenkirk. Uh, mm-hmm. Short story long. Um, so wrestled in high school, uh, junior high and high school. Um, actually, you know, my my dad kind of set a great foundation for us uh, from a training standpoint. Um, he started working out to lose some weight. He had quit smoking and gained weight and then started, you know, training. And, and um, you know, I'd see him get up at 445, 5 in the morning, uh, go to the gym, come back and get ready, go to work. Um, you know, kind of set a foundation for me. And then I started wrestling, uh, pretty much because my brother started wrestling and I was tired of being the, uh, the victim, uh, of his practicing at home, uh, with his new wrestling moves. And so I started wrestling in sixth grade and wrestled through high school. Um, wasn't that great of a wrestler, um, worked hard, uh, certainly put the hours in, but, uh, there were more talented kids in the room than me, but I got injured a few times and ended up kind of, you know, helping out taping, um, actually coaching a little bit. And, uh, like the one thing I could do in the wrestling room was snag a single. I could <laughs> snag a single on anybody in the room. Like even my wrestling coach couldn't stop me. Uh, nice. but once I got the leg, I didn't know what to do with it, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, so uh, with that foundation and having been injured, I um, started to pursue uh, going to college for physical therapy. Well, uh, then I found out you had to do physics and some other things that I didn't wasn't a fan of uh, or didn't understand uh, to uh, be, go into PT school. So I decided to go and stay with the athletic training route. And at that time, I was at an internship program. Uh, at High Point University. And uh, so you were supposed to put in like 1600 hours. I I put in way more than that um, and came out 
with an athletic training degree, did my master's in rehabilitative sciences, which is actually drug and alcohol rehab, which we can just ballpark as behavior modification, behavior change. Um, and um, then took my first job at a, a small military academy in, in Virginia and um, into my training room walks Gray Cook. And uh, Gray walks in, hey, my name's Gray Cook. You need any help? And uh, so I started working with Gray in my training room and his his clinics. Um, and then I left and uh, ran a hospital fitness center for five years. During that time, uh, one of uh, somebody that had worked for me came back in and said, hey, you should really check out this Pavel guy. He's He's got some really interesting stuff. And I'm like, okay. So I, I got power to the people and was like, you know, mind blown, you know, the anti-bodybuilding sort of mindset and prioritizing strength and uh, minimalist sort of routine. And I'm like, okay, you know, there's, there's something here. And then, then of course the marketing machine kicked in and I started hearing about kettlebell, kettlebell, kettlebell. And so I got the book, uh, the original Russian kettlebell challenge book and uh, honest to goodness, read it and threw it in a drawer. I'm like, "Ah, I can do all that with a dumbbell. Yeah. I I don't need that. But it was scratching at the back of my head. So pulled it out, looked at it again, tried one of the uh, snatch routines in the back with a dumbbell instead of a kettlebell. And when EMS revived me, I said, you know, I should probably, that's a joke. So for, for, for your <laughs> listeners that aren't that aren't familiar with my sense of humor, that's a joke. Uh, no, no EMS involved. No, but no, no animals were injured in the filming of this podcast. Um, but I, uh, I, I, very quickly found out that uh, I should probably go get some training in this. So February of 02, <clears throat> went and got certified in Pavel's second ever uh, certification and then was invited to start teaching with him in April of 03. So for 20 plus years, I've been, you know, traveling and teaching, working with Pavel. That, of course, became strong first just over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And um, in that time, released my first DVD and uh, Gray Cook ended up with it. And so Gray gets back in touch with me and and I started doing things with FMS and the Secrets of series and Kelo Stenos, Kettlebells from the Center, uh, put out a bunch of uh, DVDs and products and development of the FMS level two curriculum and, and uh, corrective exercise and, and things of that nature. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, I've been a NSCA, CSCS for 25 plus years now, 25 years now. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, like, I, I warned you short, <laughs> short story long. I could have just given you the acronyms and, and moved along with it. But, uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate, uh, had no clue in taking my first job, um, that Gray Cook was going to walk into my training room and had no clue who Gray Cook was when he walked mm-hmm. into my training room, um, made the decision to go to the second ever kettlebell certification that Pavel taught. I, you know, just um, <clears throat> very fortunate. And then really pivotal there was a year later, I decided to go to the Arnold Fitness Classic. And uh, I was living outside of Pittsburgh and and uh, New Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And um, Columbus wasn't that far. So I decided to, and I was into grip strength and bending at that time. I was the 11th person in the world to bend the red nail. Um, wow. Oh, wow. When, yeah. So I, awesome. I, Used to have some pretty strong hands, and um, I mean, used to could in in a, in a few different things, and um, so that was really pivotal because that was my opportunity to to work a little more directly with Pavel and and the and the crew at that time, and uh, that's when I got invited to start teaching uh, with Pavel. So, you know, you, you just never know those those little decisions you make, the people you you learn from or or become friends and mentors. Uh, yeah, been been. The Grateful Dead were correct. What a long, strange trip it's been. 
And it's so funny. Uh, I'm a former wrestler. I've coached wrestling for years. And it's just like, it, just based on you just joining the wrestling team, that just kind of took your path. Yeah. How crazy. That's crazy. Uh, I know this is going to be a very loaded question in terms of like how long this can be. But in terms of, uh, and, and I have you quoted um, here. So swinging a kettlebell is one thing. You can't swing a barbell. One time you could, but that's it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, what's what's the difference between uh, just the the impact of a kettlebell versus traditional equipment such as barbell and dumbbell? Just what could be the differences for people to kind of get in their back of their mind of what are the these effects from a kettlebell that I can't get from other tools or modalities? Sure. Um, you know, twenty plus years ago when I started swinging a kettlebell, it was mm -hmm. very rare. Like yeah. you, you had your own and you didn't find them any other, any other place. Now you go to a hotel gym or, you know, most any place they're going to have uh, kettlebells. So the, the deceptively simple design of a cannonball with a handle on it uh, actually comes with a lot of benefits. So that thick handle offset center of mass really changes what you're going to do with that weight. Um, so the, the, um, thick handle is automatically going to get us a little more grip, uh, training and stronger hands, stronger body. Um, that offset center of mass means the weight is way more alive in my hand. Um, and, uh, so when I'm doing something like a swing and that center of mass is projecting six to eight inches beyond my hand and I'm doing swings, cleans, snatches, things of that nature, There, there is a difference in how that feels and loads the body uh, just because of that displaced center of mass. When I turn it into a clean or I'm doing a get up and I've got that bell on the back of my forearm, that bell up to a certain weight is actually going to help guide my arm into a better position. Uh, it's going to load me differently than when the weight centers with your hand. Uh, then you cross a, a point where it becomes a challenge to that shoulder position. And so it, it, it continues to kind of develop as you get stronger and you take on heavier weights, that displaced center of mass is going to change uh, from assisting to challenging. And that has other benefits. So, um, yeah, the, the original, yeah, you can't swing a barbell between your legs more than one time and then you'll decide that was really bad idea <laughs> but with the kettlebell we get into this unique loaded eccentric position um, and because of that off uh, displaced center of mass um, we can get into what we call overspeed eccentrics and i've been on a force plate uh, with a 24 kilo bell two hand swing producing three to three and a half times my body weight eccentric load at the bottom of the swing mm -hmm. that is a really nice return on swinging a 53 pound weight to produce three to three and a half times my body weight eccentric load without having to take the impact of traditional plyometrics and shock method sort of uh, training. Now, granted, the percentage of the times body weight numbers you get into with some of that gets much larger than the three, three and a half times uh, body weight with the swing. But that was just the 24 kilo bell. Mm -hmm. So put me on a force plate with a little bit heavier bell. Numbers might change a little bit. Um, so I, I think those are the main reasons why the kettlebell becomes a really unique tool and something that has benefits. And, um, I'm, I'm really minimalistic. Um, well, it, it goes beyond that. Uh, if I'm driving someplace here in Pittsburgh, um, I have one way. Now there's, we have a saying in Pittsburgh, you can't get there from here. 
um, because, because the the road system and, and the way the geography breaks up the the areas is just crazy. Um, but I have one way to get from point A to point B. Um, so I'm not like I don't I don't spend time looking for the ten other routes that could get me there. I'm happy with my one route. Might not be the most efficient, but it's the one I know. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same way with training. I found kettlebells and it did so much for me and it was so impactful to the people that I, I got doing it. I really never got into Olympic lifting. Um, just didn't need it. I could get somebody swinging clean and snatching a kettlebell so quickly. I, I didn't feel the need to go on the the journey of, of Olympic lifting. And for those people that do, and you know, Strong First has an O lifting course now and and we're, you know, we have great information out there on it. I've just never pursued it because I kind of didn't need it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Olympic lifting, like you were saying, it's that's a very long path. We see that in a lot of a lot of uh, gyms that have group fitness classes. They'll have Olympic lifting, but that's a very very long path to be on, and it takes a very long time to get those techniques nailed down. So, just for general public, just doing you know overhead snatches. That's 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 really tough. Well, and I, I, I can't even get in a proper rack mm-hmm. position. Uh, by the, by the time I get my elbows high enough, you can see my hands are behind my head. Yeah. We run into a problem because mm-hmm. I can't put the bar through my face. Um, so, you know, it's, there's some things with Olympic lifting and stress on the hands and the wrists that, that are unique to that, that endeavor. Um, and it, it's an endeavor unto itself. It's awesome if you want to go on that journey. But mm-hmm. um, I've I've just been pursuing the kettlebell um, and done some powerlifting and you know basic barbell training uh, over the years. But uh, yeah, the the kettlebell, I found it. It was my it was my route to get mm-hmm. from point A to point B, and kind of stuck with it. Awesome. Now now you're instructing and working with Strong First. Can you- and I hear these quotes all the time from instructors. They speak upon strength as a skill and build your practice. Can you expand on those two points and kind of the strong first philosophy? 100%. So the the cornerstone is a, a quote from Mefiev that uh, strength is the foundational physical quality. Um, I, I heard Eric Cressy refer to it years ago as the maximum strength is the glass. The bigger your glass, the more physical qualities uh, you can fit in the glass. Um, so it, it's, it really does set the foundation and, and coming out of, you know, bodybuilding eras and, and, you know, n- people not prioritizing strength, um, as, as a, a, something to, to focus on. And I've been every kind of trainer. I've been the hit Jedi. I've been the functional training guy. I've been the body weight only. I've been the, you know, whatever, yeah, like name a, name a type of trainer. I've been there, done that. Um, and when, I started approaching my strength as a skill. Um, I, I really started to unlock a, a lot of things because we tend to think of skill practice. If we were talking to a musician, we'd have no trouble sitting here talking about how they're still working on their basic chords um, and or scales. So, you know, they're they're doing that fundamental thing and trying to do it a little bit better every time they do it. There's a famous cellist. Uh, that I have quoted, who was uh, asked at the age of 92 why he was still practicing. And he said, because I think I'm starting to make progress um, at 92 and having spent a lifetime with this instrument. Um, we tend not to bring that same sort of mindset 
um, call it a musician mindset, call it a, a, a skill mindset to our strength practice. Um, but you back to the Olympic lifting conversation, you have athletes that spend decades, uh, careers trying to get better at two lifts, the clean and jerk and the, and the snatch. You have power lifters that spend 20, 30, 40 year careers trying to get better at three lifts, squat, bench, dead. Um, you have athletes who spend careers trying to get better throwing a ball, <laughs> right? So, but we tend not to bring that mindset to our strength practice. But when I look at something like the uh, swing, I'm looking at what I, I think is a high skill activity that has tremendous carryover and a lot of benefit to other things that I want to do. So I want to treat my uh, strength practice as a skill practice. Um, you know, we, we don't bring, nobody says, um, you know, nobody says, oh, he's not good at free throws. He just has good technique. Like you appreciate the fact that somebody that can step up to the line and, and, you know, hit nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 free throws, uh, versus some other players, three out of 10, um, you know, they, they have a high skill, uh, at that. And that's why they're good at it. You know, people, but people will say, uh, he's just strong. She's just strong. Right. Uh, she doesn't have good technique. She's just strong. I don't know that those two things can be separated. I think if you're going to display strength, you're going to have good technique in, in most cases. Um, so I think that bringing that skill mindset, approaching it like a musician approaches their scales or their chords, um, really unlocks a lot of things. Uh, because when we, when we look at something as simple as the bench press, and you look at an EMG study of how a strength professional will bench press versus an amateur. Uh, what you and if you've ever been in the car with somebody learning how to drive a stick, you've experienced what it's like to train as a strength amateur. Um, you have these harsh transitions between muscle groups or, or gears. You know, you get a little bit of chest, a little bit of shoulders, a little bit of tricep, and and the, there's not smoothness get in the car with a formula one driver, you don't even feel the gears change. You just go faster. Mm -hmm. And that's the strength professional. That is that smooth transition from laps into, into chest and into shoulders and triceps. And you have this really skilled application of force through the body. And that's, that's what I'm shooting for as, as a, a strength professional and treating your training as a practice. Um, you know, we unfortunately ended up at a point where, um, and I can go a couple of different directions on this. Um, ancient training systems were based on <clears throat> martial, restorative, and pedagogical uh, pillars. Uh, martial was your ability to respond to uh, threats appropriately. Um, so a lot of our ancient training systems came from training soldiers. The pommel horse, which is now a gymnastics event, was originally in these gymnastics sort of training systems as a way to help soldiers on horseback trained to be better soldiers on horseback without having to be on the horse. So that's where the pommel horse originally came from. Um, so, you know, and then there's this restorative technique because the marshal, when you're learning how to defend yourself and taking blows yourself, you get knocked out of center. Uh, so you need ways to restore and, and be healthy. And then you had a theoretical body of knowledge that supported those other two. Um, fitness has become our martial art. We go to fitness to people perceive it to be to get beat up, to get tired. Um, I now Dr. Ed Thomas, one of my mentors, uh, gave me a great quote. He said, I never went to the gym to work out. I went to the gym to learn. 
Now, did I get tired? Did I get sweaty? Did I get fit in the process of the learning? Yes, but that wasn't the goal. That was a byproduct. The goal was to learn, to learn the next progression, to enhance my skill in a particular uh, movement or um, application of something like Indian clubs or kettlebells or bodyweight training. You know, what is my next step? What is the thing that's preventing me from getting a little bit better at this? And how am I going to work with that or around it to get better skill? Um, and I come back to the musician uh, example a lot because that if you're going to talk about people that put hours in at practice, musicians are a pretty good group to, to talk about because they're going to practice a lot. Um, and treating your training as a practice means we're, we're, we're emphasizing skill. We're emphasizing this idea that uh, the byproducts are awesome, but the goal is to have higher skill, to be stronger, to, to really enhance what I'm doing. Yeah. That's, it's so funny you mentioned that because as you were talking about the musician, I, I was thinking in my head and just to kind of connect with the wrestling again, because in, in my wheelhouse, right. I, yeah. I just know wrestling and I, I love John Smith. I think he's one of the best clinicians and coaches um, for Oklahoma state. And I've, I've bought all of his like championship series, you know, watching and a couple of the videos that are just like literally his practice room. And as you watch it, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get the special sauce. I'm going to get this something crazy. I don't even know what they do over there. And it, they're like single legs, doubles, high crotch. Okay. Go behinds. And I'm like, we do that too. Like we do that. But they spend it. When people walk into like a, a college dressing room, they think they're going to see this crazy, fancy, flashy. No, it is very basic. They get really good at the basics. They get really, and then all everything looks easy because they're so good at the basics. And and honestly, when I started really thinking as a wrestling coach, when I started, just okay, we're gonna my first year like as a varsity coach, I'm like they're gonna learn everything. I'm gonna teach them everything. We got good at nothing. <laughs> we got absolutely good at nothing. And yeah. uh, I, I had to just go back to the drawing board. I'm like, why are we just not good in these positions? And I'm like, you know what? We're going to just teach three from the feet, three from the bottom, you know, um, three moves from top and just get really good. And my team got really good. Uh, so there is some uh, some truth to that for sure. It's just like get really good at the basics and work on your skill. You don't have to do. Yeah, variety is great, right? Like we want variety, but we don't like variety kind of get you nowhere sometimes. Well, uh, two things, uh, quote from the SFG one manual from a spec ops, uh, person, the elite are just better at the basics than everybody else. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure baseball players are still learning how to catch a ball, throw a ball, run a base and hit a ball. That's it. Um, now they do it in a bunch of different ways, but those are the four things they're trying to get better at. And it's funny. You mentioned the three, you know, three moves from here, three moves from here. Um, when you talk to a martial artist or a fighter and they're in the ring or they're in a situation where things have gotten real, there's about three techniques they're going to draw upon. Mm -hmm. And they draw upon them because they can execute them on anybody at any moment. And, you know, successful or not, they, they, they get down to those three things that this is, this is my wheelhouse. This is what I can execute. Um, and and it's, it really is that, that, that focus on the basics. That's everything. 
Um, and I forgot the other thing I was going to say, but it'll, it'll come back to me. <laughs> you just bring it up whenever. Um, I kind of want to transition, you know, we're talking about strength and it's your practice and building a, you know, strong body, but also, also the mental aspect of strength and, you know, when there's hard times, how do you react to those things? So you've gone through a stint of cancer and yeah. you went through that whole journey, like going through adversity and overcoming it. Can you tell us about that journey and that process? hundred percent. So uh, February 20 of 2020, I was diagnosed with uh, stage three primary tonsillar squamous cell carcinoma. So I had a throat cancer and uh, that ended up uh, with seven weeks of uh, five days a week radiation and two chemo uh, infusions. And um, yeah, I, I went in uh, 205. Uh, I was a little heavy. Um, you know, I wasn't at my was not at my leanest uh, going into treatment, but I was, uh, you know, about 205 and I came out of treatment 164, 163, 164. So I lost over 40 pounds in the course of treatment. Um, you know, people will say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find my my uh, limits. Those have been defined for me um, in the course of treatment. And I was in there with, uh, you know, go in for a chemo infusion and there's grandmothers and, and, and people uh, in receiving chemo are way tougher than I am. Um, and uh, so I, I've had those things defined for me in the course of my treatment. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, treatment was a little bit of hell uh, to to get through and uh, was in the hospital three different times in the course of treatment. Um, one of those was L3, L4 disc decided to go uh, in the first week of cancer treatment. Like, let's, let's, let's just have a big party. Um, so, you know, the first, first week of treatment is pretty rough. You get your first chemo infusion, you start your radiation. Radiation is interesting in that, uh, for the, other than chemo and some of the other things that happened, like I was three, three and a half weeks into treatment and I'm like, I, I, things are pretty good. And then the last three and a half weeks of treatment were really rough and the radiation stays active in your body for a good period of time. Uh, so I spent eight or so weeks really trying to recover from, uh, from my treatment. And, um, so yeah, it, it's, um, it's, that was, um, that was a little bit of a rough patch, but, uh, my, my mantra was, uh, you know, identify the next step and take the next step. That's the, the my job was to get up, go get treatment and, you know, work as much as I could, um, and get to the next treatment and take the next step. And it, I looked at it like uh, Matt Damon in uh, The Martian, uh, where at the end, he's like, it's just solving problems. And if you solve enough problems, you get to come home. Well, you take enough steps, you get to make it through. And uh, you know, there, there's a survivor's guilt that comes with with surviving cancer treatment, being cancer survivor, because there's others that aren't that fortunate who uh, who, who don't make it through uh, the treatment. So um, it's a you 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 learn a lot. Uh, but that mantra of uh, I've always been a head down, put the work in sort of uh, individual. Uh, and so that, you know, identify the next step, take the next step, uh, really just kind of coalesced uh, during that time. Um, and I, I just my job was to take the next step. Yeah. So at the end of this, um, at the end of this journey, you find out, you know, cancer free. You know, what What are the next steps going from there? It's like now I've kind of out of the woodwork, 
you know, you're saying you lost a lot of weight, I'm assuming some muscle, lots of muscle mass, body fat, all those things. Now it's time where you want to get back. So what are the steps you take? So, um, you know, the, just real quick on, on that, like, uh, the, the background, uh, you know, I, three months after the end of treatment, you get your PET scans and that's to allow enough time for the radiation to dissipate. And so they're not getting false positives because of radiation being active versus cancer being active. Mm-hmm. So you get, your, you get that first scan. And then I was, it was scans every six months for the first, um, couple of years. And now it's a scan every year just to make sure no cancer is coming back. And, and my type of cancer was HPV based. So uh, when you see the the advertisements for the HPV vac- vaccines and stuff like that, maybe my cancer could have been prevented. Um, but, you know, uh, 95 plus percent of the population has been exposed to HPV at some point. Most people clear it. Some people don't. Uh, I was one of those that didn't. Uh, but the the treatment outcomes are, are very good when you're uh, that HPV based throat cancer and non HPV based throat cancer is uh, has a tendency to recur and, and is, is a rougher um, sort of a, a thing. But, you know, once a year I get to have my little scanxiety uh, and, you know, get my scans and wait for the results and, you know, make sure everything's still clear. And, and, and so that journey continues. Gotcha. Um, and um, so the, at the end of, you know, treatment and recovery and and wanting to get back to regaining my physical self because being physical and being strong has been something that's been important to me for you know most of my life um from the start of wrestling and 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 all the way through so initially i thought well body weight training we'll just go back and do some body weight training and i'm like man 164 pull-ups are going to be great you know, not instead of having to pull 205 over the bar, I can, I can, I can pull 164 over the bar. This will be great. It wasn't, <laughs> I had lost a lot of muscle, a lot of strength. And so I started into this body weight training. I'm like, man, I'm kind of not strong enough to do well at my, my body weight training. And then I thought, well, I'll go back to swings and get ups. We'll just go back and, you know, to the foundation. And I wasn't strong enough to be powerful. Um, I, I needed to reset my strength. And so I started working on uh, what became the, uh, it was originally Strength Aerobics by Pavel and Alexei Sinart. And um, it was a very simple program, clean, press, squat, set it down, shake it off, clean, press, squat on the other side. Now I had used versions of this and done my own versions of, of Strength Aerobics for several years. This article came out in 2014. And so I had used it for for several years and it just hit me that, uh, you know, I needed something, um, I needed the basics executed well, pardon me. And um, I needed something um, that I could really get into. And so I started with a 24 kilo bell and what started happening was, and I joke about this in the book and and, in a lot of different settings, but nobody sends me routines or programs to, to test because I know I'm not going to follow them. Um, I'm a very intuitive trainer uh, trainee and trainer. And, uh, so I don't, uh, I, I don't have spreadsheets. I don't have, um, when I'm looking at my, uh, training for a day, I literally look at my training log and go, meh, what do I feel like doing today? And, uh, make something up, uh, kind of on the fly. I've gone through routines and then gone back to see how I did it on it the last time I did it. And it's a year ago that I did that exact same session. So while I'm, consistent with the basics. There's a lot of variation and variety that gets in there. 
uh, but it's variations within a theme. And um, so, yeah, this the iron cardio protocol became how I rebuilt uh, my strength and, and conditioning and took me from, you know, struggling for 20 sets with a 24 kilo uh, to doing 60 sets with a 36 and, and 40 kilo and double 36 work and, you know, things of that nature. So it's been very effective. Wow. There's a, a quote uh, from Pavel. Uh, iron cardio is a story of one man's triumph over adversity and a guide to the future of strength and conditioning success. Like what, what a quote from somebody, you know? Yeah. I, I'm honored. Very honored. Yeah. And um, I, so when the ebook came out and the, um, the video, so mm-hmm. I, I, I got it. I'm like, cause you were just, I mean, you post almost every day, your iron cardio. And I was like, let me, let me give this a try here. And um you know, and it's all things I like clean squat press, uh, throwing in the push-ups, the pull-ups, throwing in the snatch, double bell, sometimes single bell. So there's that variety, but there's that theme. And I've got I've got to tell you, like just doing those things, I, I tell people all the time, I do not work out as much as I used to, yet I am stronger than I've ever been. It's that uh what the heck effect, right? Like what yeah. what what is going on? What and um and with clients that I have and, and even athletes um, that I train, it's it's really hard for me to tell them about, you know, taking ample recovery because they kind of not that they don't want to hear it. They're just ingrained in the back of their head. I have to continue to push and go hard. And my big thing is I, I have to bring them down um, and, and get not let them burn out in a session. And I think, and they, they like, well, I should be sore tomorrow. I'm like, no, you shouldn't be sore tomorrow. You should be able to train. If you're sore, like, and you can't train, I did something wrong. It, can you talk about a little bit of kind of the flow of iron cardio and the anti-glycolytic work? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the challenging thing is the, the messaging that people receive on training uh, is definitely slanted in that high intensity interval sort of mindset. Um, and you know, I was, I've used those, uh, over the years. Uh, I, I did a, I can remember a, a stair climber routine that came out of uh, muscle media, 2000, uh, right around 99, uh, 2000. And, um, I, I remember doing that and, you know, lost a bunch of weight and felt, you know, wow, this is really great. And, uh, the problem is a lot of the high intensity routines are kind of like the cabbage soup diet. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll do it for a little while. You'll get, you'll lose some weight and then you're sick of cabbage. And then you go back to the way you used to eat. Uh, high intensity training is kind of the same way. You're going to see great results for four to six weeks. Uh, and then you're going to step off the edge of the cliff. Uh, you're going to uh, have burned the engine too hot for too long and you you end up suffering the 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 impacts. So the question that I ask with everything that I do now is what is the cost? So when you when you look at training like investing, I want to put a dollar in and get nine back. I don't want to put a dollar in and either lose two dollars um, or only get a dollar back. I want to put one in and get three out, one in and get five out. Like that's investing. That's that's where you you compounding interest, right? Where where you want to put a little in, get a lot out. Uh, if we approached our training like that, um, we'd we'd be much better off. Instead, we approach our training as we just keep feeding money into the machine, and initially we might get a little bit out, but the money keeps going back in the machine. 
and we just keep having to pay that cost, pay that cost. Um, and it, and it does end up with, um, you know, tired, sore, achy, owie, you know, all these things start to happen and we start blaming, you know, a lot of other things. It, it's, it's why the, we have, we have this entire cottage industry of recovery strategies and tools and, and things that has grown up in the last few years because people were like, well, I, I can't recover from my training. So I must need supplement X. I must need this thing that blows up or I need this cold tub or I, I was asked this on a, on a podcast several, many, quite a few years ago now, you know, what's your favorite recovery strategy? Proper programming. Because if I've programmed myself appropriately, I should recover from my training. If you're not recovering from your training, now, sleep, hydration, nutrition, stress, those four things need to be dealt with, with anybody, anytime. They are the big rocks that need to be really dealt with first. So we're going to separate those to the side and say, you're hydrated, your nutrition is pretty good, your uh, your um, sleep is is pretty good and you're not overly stressed now stresses you know we'll, we'll set that to the side for the moment <laughs> it varies yeah beyond that it's proper programming if if i programmed myself appropriately taking into account maybe i am at a time in my life where i'm i'm working two different jobs and putting in 10 hours a day and i i have maybe i have some relationship stress going on or family stress going on now I know I need to do a little less of my training. I still need to train because that physical release is really important, but I might not be pushing quite as hard on my training. So if, if I program myself appropriately, I should recover. And too many people uh, keep trying to figure out, well, how can I recover from my training? Step one, um, less. A uh, client of mine went to the doctor one time and asked the doc for some weight, weight loss advice. Doc takes his prescription pad and writes a little bit, hands it to him. All it says on there is half. <laughs> Whatever you're eating right now, half. <laughs> it's back to the basics, back to those essential things that are simple but not easy uh, sort of strategies. And so <clears throat> when we look at training, uh, I'm, I am focused on my output in the rep or in the set. That's where the magic happens. That's where the benefit happens. The rest is necessary so that my next set can be just as savagely well executed and beneficial. If I short my rest, I will see a decreasing performance. Uh, within Strong First, we talk about repeats instead of intervals. A repeat means, well, I can repeat what I just did. So if I'm on the track and I'm running 200 meters, I'm making up numbers here. There, there's a track coach or a track athlete somewhere that's going, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm admitting that right up front, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say we're doing 45 second 200 and that's slow, right? Mm -hmm. But I want to be able to rest long enough to run, come back and run another 45 second 200 and another 45 second 200. If I, if I come back and now it takes me 48 seconds, 50 seconds, 55 seconds, a minute, that which is typical when you start doing intervals, 
when you're mm-hmm. when you lock yourself into the specific work rest ratio and you start seeing this decreasing performance uh, because you're not able to repeat what you just did. My goal within any session is to repeat the quality, power, strength, effort that I was able to display in that first set on my last set. And I'll draw that out for 60 some odd sets within an iron cardio session. I'll accumulate 150, 180, 240 uh, reps of cleans, presses, squats, snatches, um, swing, whatever. Um, And the first rep is the last rep is as high quality, as high power as the first rep. And so that's start thinking in terms of repeat because the your output in that rep, and I'm doing a protocol right now where I'm doing a rep every 20 seconds. So it's 56 kilo swing, two arm swing, one, 20 seconds later, one. There's also something called the energetics of the first rep uh, research on some Olympic lifting where uh, the first rep of a set will be about 30% more energy demanding than the subsequent reps. So it's a whole bunch of first reps. Um, and it's just good, solid work. You know, I could easily take it in the mindset of, you know, how many, how many reps can I do in this set instead? Really quality rep 20 seconds later, quality rep 20 seconds later, quality rep. Um, so yeah, think repeats, think savagely well executed reps or sets. That's where the benefit is. You need to rest so you can repeat that effort and get more benefit. And then this, and this is the one thing where when should people start to kind of, or what are some cues for people to start realizing like, Hey, I'm actually in terms of strength training, I'm actually not being very good at the rep. The rep went up, but as a trainer or as a client thinking inside, like, what are some of the cues? It's like, Oh, like I need to either get more recovery or the weight's got to change. So within strong first, we have our stop signs. And, you know, if, if the world were to obey the stop signs, mm-hmm. uh, training would be, would be much better. And a few of those are, um, the speed of the repetition changes. So, you know, you're knocking out your reps. Um, if I'm doing something like swings, I know I'm going to knock out broad strokes here. I'm going to knock out a, a rep about every two seconds. Um, if that starts to change, if my set of 10 swings, which should take me roughly 18 to 20 seconds, now takes me 21, 22 seconds, there's a problem. I, I have slowed down. If I feel that slowdown in any way, it doesn't have to be the clock telling me, you know, and, and I think we've all gotten there in a set of swings or snatches where you're like, man, that's a little slower standing up that time. Um, that you should have stopped a couple reps ago. Like that's you've actually crossed a, a stop sign. So looking at rep speed, looking at rep quality or technique changes. If I'm pressing and I usually have, you know, just a, a little bit of lean, you know, appropriate to my body, body type, arm length, weight that I'm using. Uh, and all of a sudden, oh, I got to lean, you know, three, four inches more. Should have stopped at the rep before that. Any change in technique, any change in tempo, any change in rep speed is a sign that you should you should stop that set. And you're probably going to need to rest longer and then come back to this idea of repeat. If you can't, if my goal is sets of five and I have to, a stop sign tells me I need to stop at three. Well, I really didn't rest long enough. 
because my goal was to repeat that set of five. Um, so if, if we kind of start bringing those mindsets into it now, and the hard thing is, and, and you, you said it really well, well, the weight went up and I've been there. I, I, I've, I've had the weight go up and then I look at a video and I'm like, oh <laughs> yeah, the weight went up. That wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I see it all the time. Beast Tamer, Iron Maiden challenges and things like that. And people have started to a little leg drive starts to kick click into the press, a little extra lean starts to kick in. Um, the rep speed slows down, you know, and, and granted a max attempt. I mean, you can look at some deadlift videos where people grind on a deadlift for, you know, five, 10 seconds trying to get this thing to finish. That's a max attempt. That's not training. If you're doing that in your training, training and testing are not the same thing. As much as I've seen the memes, I've been on social media enough to know that people are like, oh, ever. Every training is testing. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Um, <clears throat> training is not testing. So, yes, a max attempt will slow down and change because it's a max attempt. Um, in training, that shouldn't happen. So look out for those stop signs. And that's the most effective way to start saying, okay, I need to I need to scale back what I'm doing. So you got to you know, maybe take a little bite of humble pie and back off couple of things that you're doing. And, um, you know, that the other thing about, you know, my journey, cancer journey and everything else is, uh, you get humbled a little bit. You, you realize, um, you realize what's important. Um, and as much as I love training, I love being strong. Um, I've been dealing with a little, I got a little right shoulder thing here going on, which is probably the radiation, the way it affects the neck and musculature and scar tissue and things like that. I got some things that I need to manage now. Um, so I haven't been pressing much. I really like pressing <laughs> and I'm not doing it because I could, I force myself through it. I can put up with some discomfort. I I'm, I'm pretty good at that nowadays. Um, I've always been, I've always been pretty good at putting up with some discomfort. You don't bend nails. Uh, without some discomfort. And I've been through a, a variety of things in my life that were, were challenging. And, and uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't need to push myself through that. I need to do the right things. I've gotten some, some PT from a friend of mine and feeling good. Um, hoping to get a session in this weekend, get tested out a little bit. I see where I am, but um, yeah, I, I think that uh, stepping back a little bit, mm -hmm. probably a good thing for everybody. Yeah, that's it's we see again, like you mentioned, the social media, like you get like influencers, all these people like got to grind, got to go hard. Like, what are you doing if you're not going hard? And like I like I told you, too, it's I leave reps in reserve. I give myself a little bit of runway and I know I could do more. And I actually have a client and I I just worked with her the other day and I literally all the time she before I say it, she goes. I like bring a weight over. She goes, yeah, I know I could do more. Cause I say, I know you could do more. It's like, she's like, this is your catchphrase. However, we're going to, we're going to really see how we do. We're going to do, um, you know, five reps with this and then we're going to stay here for a little bit. And if it's looking good, we can go up and see where you're at. Um, but I, we never, uh, I, I see any of that it's done. It's over with, but it's, you like, you said a good quote, you know, keeping a, or uh, taking a bite of humble pie. Sometimes you got to do that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I work out less. I'm stronger than I've ever been. Uh, client comes to you, you know, and I, I you could speak on, you know, somebody comes to you, aesthetics versus strength, right? They come into you, I want to get fit, aka jacked, right? 
come to you? What is the difference in how do how do you approach you know talking to people about aesthetics versus strength? Yeah. So first off, I think, uh, and this is a drum that I'm going to be beating for the next uh, next many years. Uh, there's an old there's a Jim Gaffigan joke where you know he's like I I go to the gym and I see all these fit people and I'm like you can go home you did it like you you yay you 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 did it uh, you can go home now. Um, people think you exercise to look a certain way. Well, run the numbers on how many people in the U.S. actually exercise. It is a shockingly low number. Um, rates of obesity and um, metabolic-related disease um, are doing nothing but increasing. So the aesthetics message that the fitness industry has been pounding on, and I'll be very honest, aspirational marketing, you know, hanging somebody up there that looks a certain way uh, makes me want to vomit in my mouth. I hate it with a white hot intensity because I've been in a, I've been in situations where I, I don't care how I looked. Had I not had some extra weight going into cancer treatment, I would have ended up with a peg tube. I would have had an even worse experience. Uh, things would have been been worse. You you want a little reserve. Um, you're a six pack person. You're a, you're a single digit body fat person. Awesome. Good for you. I hope you don't end up in a challenging situation where you're called upon to to use your reserves to make it through because you don't have any reserves. So everybody can tell that's a little personal for me because uh, mm -hmm. I've I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, cut the sleeves off, mow grass in it. Um, but the so we we need to change the conversation from I exercise to look a certain way to I exercise to feel good to perform well to live my life to to my best i want to i want to exercise so i can go on a hike i want to exercise so that i can be I, we helped my stepdaughter move into her, her new apartment i i'm the guy that can pick up the couch and 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 move the thing right i want to be that effective useful uh happy person that can hop into a variety of situations and be effective and feel good um feeling good feels good I, I have been in the position of not feeling good. Feeling good feels good. Uh, that is one of my major goals in 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 training. Um, so I, I that's just kind of a rant on this this whole idea of aesthetics. Um, we have to change the conversation because guess what? It's not being effective. If that was an effective conversation, 50, 60 percent of the US population would be exercising and we wouldn't have obesity and metabolic disease and all of these things going on. Um, it is not an effective message. So if, if somebody can show me where it is, cool. I have yet to see it. Mm -hmm. So first thing when somebody comes to me for purely aesthetic goals, that fitness competitor, that person that says they want to be a single digit body fat, I recommend they go work with someone else because that is not my focus. Um, I will fail you in that situation. 100%. I am not the right trainer for you. Now, once I screen you, I get a look at how you move. We talk about your injury history, medical history. We talk about some things that are challenging for you, and I create changes in your movement, and I I help you with some of those things. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I feel better. Um, I, I think we can work together pretty effectively. Um, so, uh, and the uh, the other part of the aesthetics conversation is sleep, hydration nutrition, 
stress. So what are you willing to do? Um, you're sleeping five hours a night. You're uh, eating Big Macs. You're in family and relationship work stress. Like, I, good luck exercising your way to an aesthetic goal when you got all that stuff going on. So we got a bunch of stuff outside of the exercise realm that we need to we need to deal with. The thing, uh, and to capitalize on the aesthetics versus strength uh, question that you originally asked, and then I went five different directions on. <laughs> totally, um, go go wherever. <laughs> is if you focus on the strength, you'll look the way you want to. If you try to look the way you want to, and you don't focus on strength, you're probably just going to end up frustrated. So that that message of um, and, and you know, I was doing this with a uh, somebody that I was working with the other day um, and actually somebody that works with the team. And and like I can break down my uh, my training philosophy for you in about three to three to five points. Movement quality matters. Strength should be prioritized. All those lifestyle things. We got to get dialed in on those, too. And what is the cost? for everything that we're doing. So I, I can break down my kind of training philosophy for you in about four or five bullet points yeah. and, and give you some really effective things that we can, we can start this conversation on. Um, so if you work with somebody and they're, you ask them, well, what's your, what's your training philosophy? And they're like, I'm going to beat you up. Yep. You're never going to be as sore as, as when you work with me. I, that's not, that, that's not, not going to be an effective message with me. <laughs> so, um, you know, lay it out there, you know, the, the movement quality, the strength, the feeling good. Like if we start taking care of those things and we get your sleep, hydration, nutrition dialed in, you're probably going to look the way you want to look. So it's a, it's a shift of focus and convincing somebody that, uh, the, the, I know let's hang that goal out there. Cool. I, I get it, but let's identify the next step and take the next step and keep taking steps. Yeah. That the aspect of lifestyle versus what you do in the gym, right? It doesn't, yeah, I go to the gym, I work out, but that lifestyle piece, it's, it holds a lot of weight and you have to get those things dialed in because then, I mean, you won't just, you can work really hard in the gym, but you're not going to see results if the, the other side of your lifestyle is a mess. Yep. Um, so in terms of Brett Jones, what is next for you? You know, I know you have Iron Cardio out, an app as well, correct? Yes, ACF.fit uh, app, which is a, uh, what it does is creates kind of a 3D wireframe of you and, and tracks the kettlebell. And so it kind of uh, tracks your, your sessions for you. Um, and we can look at things like, you know, time between sets. So we, we know if you're starting to rush and sets are starting to take longer. And so there's some metrics that we, we, we kind of have in there. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a neat app. You can do, uh, pretty much every, almost every variation of the iron cardio protocol, uh, within that app and, and, uh, select your weights. And if you don't feel like thinking too much, you can just auto select and let the app tell you what you're going to do for that day. Oh, that's um, cool. I love yeah. that. Cause I don't want to think, I just want to go, you know? Yeah. So ACF.fit for that. Um, I'll be filming another product for the, uh, strong and fit, uh, folks, um, which I'm, I'm right now, the working title is mind the gap that, uh, minimalist training checks all the boxes till it doesn't. And then you got to mind the gap. 
So we need to take care of some uh, basic mobility uh, needs. We need some single leg work involved. We need some you know things that are restorative uh, in our training, but we only need a little bit of them. Uh, so mind the gap. I'll be filming that uh, here in a few months and and uh, get that that out there. Continuing to work with Strong First FMS, um, you know we've we've got um, online uh, videos and products that are in the pipeline, and you know we're getting those ready. And so it's just uh, busy, busy, busy. It definitely sounds like it. Uh, well, Brett, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to to get on the podcast and, and share some knowledge with us. Um, social media, where can people find you? Uh, best place to really Instagram um, at uh, what is it at Brett Jones SFG I think um, we, we can put it, it in the, I don't have it up I'll put yeah, it in the we, show notes yeah we sure. can put it in the show notes I, I don't even know my own Instagram uh, uh, <laughs> handle uh, I'm on Facebook and you know social media is really weird to me uh, in general um, I think Instagram is where you go to be seen Facebook is where you go to advertise and Twitter or whatever the heck it's called now um, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Or threads is, you know, that's X or Twitter in particular. That's where you go to argue, um, which I have no patience for. I'm I'm kind of at that point in my life where, look, you you don't agree with me. Cool. Um, We don't need to agree. Um, it's, it's, it's all good. Um, so yeah, Instagram is probably the best place. Uh, got some workshops coming up, uh, September in, um, Providence at the perform better gym. Uh, so kettlebell 101, 201 strong first workshops coming up, uh, up there in Providence, uh, looking forward to getting up there and doing that. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the big stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great. Well, thank you. And to everybody else, all the listeners, thank you for listening to the Primal Foundations podcast. And we hope to see you on the next episode. Thank you all for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. See you all next time on the Primal Foundations podcast.